Have you ever wondered, what do these people know that I don't know? How do I do it? How do I find my purpose, my passions? What if you could sit down with some of the wisest experts, everyday leaders, and inspirational people who could answer your deepest questions? That is what we do here on the Inspirational Living Podcast. We invite you to join us as we hold conversations, share wisdom, tips, and tools to inspire you, ignite your passions and vision for your life, to awaken your sense of purpose and hope, and leave you inspired to design your best life. Join me, your host, psychologist Dr. Sean Horn, as we take you on an inspirational, motivational, and educational journey so you can inspire by living an inspired life. Today, I am having a conversation with my friend Ellie Weinstein to talk about the state of manhood today in modern society. When Ellie and I got together, we exchanged all our ideas for this discussion today, but we didn't even touch on any of the ideas that we had planned to talk about. We were going to talk about the man box theory, toxic masculinity, what that is, what it's not, why it's so triggering to many as they hear that term about emotional intelligence in men and men and mental health and all these things. But instead, we had a very rich conversation about gender differences, are they gender differences, people differences, how we experience the differences with male clients and female clients, and all in between. It is just an amazing conversation. I'm excited to bring this to you today, and I just want you to know that I am officially making Ellie resident expert on this topic. He is so wonderful to talk to, and Ellie is such a wealth of information. So let me share a little bit about Ellie with you. Ellie is a social worker therapist who has worked in a whole bunch of different settings, including psych hospitals, intense outpatient clinics, and currently he works in a community clinic in Queens. He created Elevation, it's a play on his name, Elevation, I thought that was so clever, <laughs> to fill a need to help those in struggling times and add some extra inspiration and motivation into everyday life. Ellie has been featured on Kelly Clarkston show, IVF Warrior, Fruitful, Breaking Taboo, and on multiple podcasts ranging from parenting, relationships, mental health, infertility, and more. His main goal is to help people on their journey to add support, care, empathy, expertise, and insight. He runs events, seminars, and individual coaching on topics from mental health awareness, public speaking coaching, relationships, relationship coaching, and confidence boosting. I am so delighted to have Ellie on the show with you today and hold this conversation. I know it's going to be one of many because we still need to talk about these original topics that we were going to talk about today that we didn't even get around. So here we go. Let's begin my interview with Ellie Weinstein. Two years ago, I was at this woman's conference and all these people, women there said, I wish men had an opportunity to do this. We need to have this for the men in our lives. From that point on, I was studying attachment theory and looking at how to create a secure attachment. And as I was reading a book by Sue Johnson, who's a leader in emotionally focused couples therapy, she said, if you have a secure attachment style, you're comfortable being independent but you're also comfortable being dependent. Mm -hmm. And in that very moment, it hit me that my whole life, this mantra that I will depend on no one, I will be this strong woman, watch me roar, wonder woman, here I come, right? And that was a position of a defense mechanism, that that was the fruits of an avoidant attachment style mm. that was telling me that it is not safe to depend on a man. I need to be fiercely independent. And most women I know will say that every man they've ever known has ever been abusive, neglectful, abandoning, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But I have had the opportunity to know some really amazing men that are empathic, that are caring, that are wise. What I hear from them as I start to explore what it means to be in their world 
They want to show women so much that they support them. Yes, you go. Yes, I am not going to be one of those men that oppresses you or holds you down and, and engages in any sort of behavior that's associated with that. Mm -hmm. I want to respect you and do my best to be part of that. But they're getting so scared. And they're getting marginalized, I think, in effort to support women. Mm -hmm. It's like, what about the guys? And so here I am at the women's conference. There's nothing for men. There's no, these big events aren't happening for men to do personal growth, to enhance their life. And if they do, somehow they're being accused of it being part of the old boy club thing that we're going to come together and keep women out and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to talk to you about that of just what is that like to be a man who wants to support women, wants to grow and trying to be respectful and what is happening to the state of men right now as they are not getting fed anything to help them to move forward and grow. That's a, I love that question that touched on so many things that I feel when I look at these like women empowerment summits and conferences, I get very jealous. Mm. I get very uh, internally jealous that I wish we had that for men. Like I said before, I think it's just more of this defense mechanism. I love that. I didn't think of it that way. Attachment theory. That's a beautiful outlook on it. I think it's very important. And I love Sue Johnson also. And mm -hmm. I think that when I look at these conferences, I wish there was more men's summits recently I've noticed, I would say in the past five years, there are dad summits, dad things. And I think there are men run events and I don't, they're not run by therapists or mental health professionals or growth. It's like the influencers or the guy who's like, I was a dad. So I'm going to make a summit, which I think is really important. I'm not bashing that, but regarding the professionalism that is out there for women in those summits and conferences is unbelievable and amazing for the women in this world. And mm -hmm. I feel it's very lacking in the men world. And you're right. It is hard. You know, I think there was a very interesting thing happened recently in the past couple of years, frozen two came out mm -hmm. and in frozen two, there is a very empowering moment where Anna is struggling and Christoph, I only know this details because my daughter has watched it about 18 bajillion times says, what can I do for you? And there was a very clear moment that Disney changed the narrative that the women didn't need the hero but needed someone to support them to mm. be the hero themselves. Wow. And they didn't depend on a Prince Charming to come swoop them up and save the day. And there was, I remember sitting in the movie theater, whatever that was like before COVID, everyone, all the women cheering. And I was like, what happened? I didn't, what happened? I don't get it. And I looked at it later and it dawned on me that that is what real masculinity and healthy masculinity is, is knowing your place, knowing when to step up and also knowing when to back off and promote your, your spouse, partner, loved ones, family members, relationships. And it is a struggle because I think it's a huge need because I think for men, one of the biggest struggles is sharing and being vulnerable and open. So to have a created community of other men who are there for the reason of growth, connection, and not like a bro club and a dude club trying to create this environment of like college or frats or sport mentality, but really for growth, I think would be extremely beneficial for the male community because it would create that connection and network of other like-minded men because you wouldn't pay a ticket if you didn't want to be there for a reason. You wouldn't be there if you didn't want to grow and, and learn. Mm -hmm. So that creates this network of more men who are looking and searching. I think it's a great concept. I don't know how we can get it done, especially now with COVID. It takes, it's going to yeah. be a little bit of time, but you're right. There is a marginalization and generalization that all men are like this. And I would say from my perspective, not all men are. I know I'm not. It doesn't mean that men aren't. It doesn't mean women aren't, you know, have their struggles as well. Mm -hmm. So it is a weird place to be as an empathic feeling guy like myself mm -hmm. to fit in and find my place of men who are similar to me and women as well. It's like this weird limbo stage. Mm -hmm. It seems like masculinity is so stigmatized that if you are masculine, if you do want to be the hero that comes in and sweeps her up. And if I am the woman that wants him to come and sweep me up, that somehow I'm endorsing a patriarchal society. I am not empowering women. It has all those messages versus can it just be okay? Can and the it same just... thing goes for women, by the way, when a mm -hmm. woman might be a little more assertive, they're looked at as being crazy or bossy. Mm -hmm. uh, when Maybe they're just being assertive and being a great boss. But, yes. and there's always a dual side of the sword for each gender. 
But I think in this generation, after the Me Too movement and all the really shedding light on people like um, Harvey Weinstein, who I'm not related to, I know we have the last same name, and even recently, the, the owner of uh, the GM for the Mets and other powerful men showing the dark side of masculinity and mm-hmm. what that energy can create and the sickness or perversion that can be that can happen it kind of creates this box that if you show up in a certain way you're either associating with that you're either promoting that you're either okay with that even though you don't even touch close to anything near that but fall into that big vague box of masculinity could be a um, a really unhealthy thing for people to see and then it creates men's fear of stepping up or being there or being more than what they are being forced to be in now which is a hard place to be this is what i want to advocate for is i feel like we've swung from one end to the other end and we're not supporting both in this very mutually supportive way and i I love that you talked about that middle ground i think it's extremely healthy and i want to backtrack a little bit I don't want to make it seem like, you know, this this is the awkward part of having this conversation. I don't want to make it seem like everything that's happened and progress in the women's world is for nothing because my wife would not be able to be the dietitian she is today without the progress. Um, Voting, getting a loan, all the things that were not in women's rights. I think it's so powerful that that's changed because it's needed and women matter so much and so do men. And there needs to be a balance, like you said, of this, why can't there be space for both when it's done in a healthy, balanced way. No extreme is good for women and men. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not important for anyone. It's not good for anyone in this world. But we have swung the pendulum so far that now is extreme of women being the best and now men are being pushed to the bottom as your pigs disgusting, you know, and you see that from uh, certain rallies or certain organizations And it doesn't have to be that way. It can be a beautiful balance. And I think it's healthy to get rid of the negative, get rid of the bad in this world, which is never going to be possible 100%. Do our best to create a healthy mentality of masculinity and femininity, and then have that beautiful balance for everyone to live happily ever after. And it takes time and it's hard. And I think this pendulum had to swing this way to go back to Mm -hmm. a balance. And I don't think it should be the way it used to be where the men were the powerful beings that made all the decisions. I don't think that's healthy, but -hmm. neither is only women making those decisions either. It has to be a balance for Mm -hmm. everyone's voice to be heard and everyone to matter because each individual difference creates the world that we have. Each culture, each race, each religion brings a beauty to this world and every single individual matters individually to help the whole be beautiful. And it's Mm -hmm. a very hard balance to have when there has been one either race or one gender that has kind of taken control, so to speak, in air quotes and kind of <laughs> yeah, taking whenever, the limelight. Yes. And whenever we generalize, we're getting in trouble here. In couples work, we're promoting people to have an interdependent relationship mm-hmm. where you're both relying on one another. You can turn to each other in vulnerability and comfort and support. And if it's not there, then you can do what you need to do to support yourself. But if it is there to lean into it and receive it and have that shared division of labor, that shared partnership. And if you are a woman listening and you do like that your man steps up more and is supportive or takes the role that doesn't make you any less of a powerful woman and Mm -hmm. doesn't make you promoting unhealthy manlyhood, it is important that if that's what your needs are and that's what makes you happy in life, great, awesome, embrace that. And if you're a guy who's more passive and your woman takes more control or is more stronger or more decisive or more taking a a step forward. Great. If that's what you need, you are not less manly. You're not less of a man. You are embracing your spouse and your strengths as well. So you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And the partner needs to know their strengths and weaknesses to create that healthy balance of a relationship, marriage, family setting. And it doesn't take away from any of those terms that we use, either masculinity or femininity or manlyhood or womanhood. It's all beautiful and all great. It's a balance. And it doesn't mean that each And I was talking to someone recently about masculinity and femininity being an energy that a woman, like I can lean more, more feminine. Sometimes I might, I think I have more moisturizers than my wife. (laughs) I am very big into self-care and my skin and I'm okay with that. And I care about matching and my clothes matching. My wife is not more as in tune into that. It doesn't mean she's not good at it. That doesn't make me any less a man. 
and doesn't make her any less of a woman that she doesn't do those things as well. So I think it's important to like get out of these boxes that we put people in, just embrace the person for who they are. And I think that's a big problem that we have today. Yes. I hear so often from women feeling shamed for wanting to be a stay at home parent, to want to stay home, to uh, be someone that cares about their house and cooking, that somehow that's wrong and they're buying into the traditional lifestyle, but that's what they love and that's yeah. what they want to do. Yeah. I it doesn't we, mean you're stuck in the fifties. It doesn't mean you're stuck in the fifties where you're the housewife and just the, Oh dear, how was your day at work? You know, I, I told my wife, if, if she, um, if she made enough money for us to be able to live off of it and I didn't have to work, I would stay home and take care of the kids and the housework all day. Why not? Mm-hmm. But that's not possible nowadays. But if I did do that, I am still just as much a man. Because yes. it's not about those things that we have defined as what is man and what is woman. Mm-hmm. We've seen that that's a spectrum that is not so clear cut and black and white. It is very gray. Yes. You reminded me of a moment with my husband. We had our two children during grad school. And so we would balance the duties and and working and so forth. But at some points, he was a stay-at-home parent while I was going out to internship and doing mm-hmm. all these things. And one day I came home, he was so nurturing to our children. So loving and comforting and affectionate. And so I said to him, honey, you are such a mothering father. And he says, no, I'm a fathering father. It's just that people forgot what that means. I love that. I love that. Um, You know, I never think that I am a mothering father or a mother when I'm caring and loving to my daughter. Hmm. I am a good father. So how would you describe fathering? Like, how would you define the fathering of a child? I think it really depends on, you know, what the makeup of a relationship is, you know, depending on the genders that could, might play a role. I don't know. I haven't Mm -hmm. really paid attention to that. I only know for myself Mm -hmm. and for myself, being a father is being a role model as who I am, which is a male figure. Mm -hmm. And that means all the goodness having feelings and emotions and strengths and weaknesses and showing my daughter what it means to be human. That's what fathering is just as it is what motherhood is. But I think motherhood has been associated with caring and love and fatherhood is like roughhousing and playing sports and, you know, having the talk and all those kind of like intense things when that might not be in every relationship and might not be every man or woman. You know, some women are not as motherly quote unquote, that we've put that box into. Some of them are more, I don't even know the word for it. Mm-hmm. They're just not that box that we put in of motherly. They're not as caring or loving. Doesn't make them any less of a mother. You are still that child's mother. Mm-hmm. Just like I could be a father and not fit into that old school thought process or box of what a father should and shouldn't be. And I think yeah. as a parent, as long as you're being there and loving your children with, with affection and intention, and really trying to create and, and keeping your child alive. That's the best part of being a parent. Mm-hmm. All the other terms and all the other things don't matter. Yes. I, I love I, that your husband said that. Yeah. What I observed in his parenting, he was, he provided, he protected, he taught, he mentored, he comforted, he guided. That's a parent. All, yes. Parenting. That's parenting. <laughs> it's not father and mother. That's parenting. Right? He was, we should all he be was so lucky. Attuned. Yes. He was attuned to the kids noticing when they're tired, when they're hungry, when they're sleepy, he would pace himself with them and create psychologically, psychological and physical safety for them. I wish he was my father. That sounds great. <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> but <laughs> I think, I think there is this old school thought of when we look on TV of like the fifties and sixties and seventies of the father comes home from a long day of work puts his stuff down, takes his shoes and socks off, takes his pants off, sits on the couch, has a beer that his wife so nicely brought and the kids come by and is is lazy or not in tune or not there and is not with the family and eats the dinner, goes to bed and does it all over again. And that's mm-hmm. the classic scenario of what a quote unquote father figure was. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way or isn't that's not reality. And not all dads will be great and not all moms will be great. And, and it is about you as a parent making that decision of what mm-hmm. that means to be a parent, um, just like it is to be a husband or a wife. You have to make the decision to define that for yourself as a couple 
-hmm. I know when my wife was pregnant, I took a lot more roles on that I normally didn't do. That's what needed to happen. You know, I'm a religious Jew. We keep Sabbath. I cook a lot for Sabbath because my, my schedule as a therapist is more flexible. I have more hours to do the things that my wife can't because she works a nine to six job in a hospital. Does it mean I'm any less of a, a husband? No. So it's like all these weird things that frustrate me as a guy that these like preconceived notions of what it, and when we have guests over like, oh, your husband cooked everything. You are so lucky. My husband doesn't, can you teach, can you get your husband to teach my husband how to do things? And then it like creates this bad rep for dads out there, but not all dads are made for that. And not all moms are made for that. And it's really mm -hmm. having that honest conversation. The individual differences, strengths, and so forth. What you described about how that father, that traditional father role is, is really how we would describe a, an avoidant attachment. Someone who's had to turn off any sort of cue for relationships, yeah. right? To attend to them. And so they create this, leave me alone. Let me be by myself. And a long day. Long day. A long what day, was, don't bother daddy. Yeah. What was so interesting to me, I had the opportunity to study with John and Julie Gottman in their um, The best. Yeah. <laughs> in person. It was actually quite amazing. And I'll never forget John saying that all of the gender information about the gender differences, men mm -hmm. are from Mars, women are from Venus, all stuff. Research has debunked. Yep. And the what they discovered is that men and male children actually demonstrated a higher level of emotional tenderness, mm -hmm. emotional expression. And that this idea that they don't, this idea that they aren't emotional is not accurate. It's, it's conditioned out of them. Yes. Up, right. And if you can't be emotional, you can't cue for that. Then yes, someone's going to get an avoidant attachment. They're going to yep. learn. I can't turn to anyone for my needs. And mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? You know, it really reminds me as a kid growing up um, and the idea of bullying as a way, like a power struggle. And it always was around manliness or manlyhood. Like, Oh, um, you're gay, you're more feminine because you don't play sports or you're more feminine because you, you cried, you had emotion or, you know, the joke is like, oh, how do you look at your nails? If you look at it this way or that, I, I'm, I'm doing the hand motions differently. All these stupid things are tests that other dudes or guys that I knew. And it's not just me. I've talked to plenty of people that this happened to that are men. It's it just stupidity because in the end, Okay, so someone doesn't play sports, big deal. But we are conditioned as as boys to not feel that emotions are weakness and that if you are weak, you're going to be made fun of, picked on, pointed out, laughed at. So then why would you ever show that emotion again? You are being told and taught and conditioned to not share your emotion and suck it in. And if you suck it in, you can have friends, you can be cool, you can get accepted and acceptance. I know your big thing is shame, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Being accepted is such an integral part of our human society. Just to be part of the party or to be looked at or noticed for that one small moment could make someone's year or high school or middle school or college time. Mm -hmm. So to find ways to just be seen and accepted and not be noticed in the negative way could totally change your behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it is a struggle. And then you look at men, usually boys play sports, not that they have to, but a lot of boys do. And then on the sports field, you get injured, walk it off, deal with it. You get hit hard on football, suck it up, man up. You get, you know, in basketball, you take a hard foul, get up and keep going. You don't like take notice and are self-aware to your needs and what you have to do to be okay. Because mm -hmm. If you do that, you get taken off the field. Mm. Sorry, there's someone else who's going to do it better than you. So it's this constant reminder of like keeping things in, hiding things in, push it deep down, don't let people see. And that is a very unhealthy thing, which then creates the unhealthy masculinity that we are trying to avoid or we are talking about a lot. Recent information on polyvagal theory in our nervous system and trauma. One of the things I've learned is that Emotions have a life cycle. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So it's like eating. You, you ingest it, you digest it, and you excrete it. And so what they say is that anytime your nervous system gets jarred, 
and you're not given the room and space you need to regulate yourself to bring it down to a calm state, that creates a trauma response. And one of the examples they gave is sports and said those moments you're tackled, you're knocked to the ground, and then it's come on, get back up and go. They're ingesting, they're digesting, but there's no excreting of what just happened in their nervous system. And that excreting being, uh, being able to process it, like shake it out or run, I suppose running after injury could be helpful or, or just going, taking a seat and relaxing, or just like a breather. I love sports, a big sports person. I love sports and watching football and seeing how hard they get hit. I always think to myself, how do they get up after that? Like if I got hit that hard by a 200 something man <laughs> yeah. running 15 to 20 miles an hour at me full speed with no care for my life. I, I, it's like getting hit by a car and they get up and keep going week after week, no time to process. And I love that you said that idea. I'm sure you know this, but uh, Dr. David Burns, who wrote Feel Good Therapy in his book, When Panic Attacks, talks about an emotional aspect of panic attacks and anxiety and talks about this uh, metaphor, or maybe I created the metaphor connected to this. I don't know. We'll just say it's Dr. Burns okay. and um, about when someone asks you to clean your room. Someone asks you to clean your room, you clean it. You put things away, you put them in the right place and your room is really clean. But if someone asks you to clean your room and you're like Monica from Friends and shove everything into one closet or you hide it underneath the bed or under the rug, your room looks clean, but really it's not. And that's what happens with emotion. When we have negative or traumatic emotions, if we hide them or don't clean up, don't process them, don't excrete them, it piles up and mm -hmm. one day, Someone checks your room and opens up that door and the floodgates open, or you don't know the effects it can have, which he believes from an emotional standpoint, his emotional theory is one of the causes of panic attacks is that anxiety built up, never being processed. And then one little thing just opens that closet and all the dirty laundry comes out. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that when you have emotions um, for anyone, men or women, you need to process it because it can have really big effects on you physically and mentally, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And you brought up that the shaming that occurs with men and their emotions. And I say shame is a social trauma. It is imperative for our survival that we belong, that we're connected, that we are part of a tribe, a group, or else we're in danger. Yeah. And so if men learn the message that emotions are vulnerable and vulnerability is dangerous, they come up with their own culture, I would say, their own rules around that. And I have this little theory, I call it the man's laws and the women's rules. In the men's laws, they have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they have this belief that if I'm upset, it's not your business unless I make it your business. But in a woman's rules are, if you care about me, you'll be all up in my business. <laughs> we have this, don't get in my business, get all up in my business. And so you get this lost in translation thing. And what I find is that when a man is upset, instead of going to his friend and saying, I'm mad, he'll go quiet for a while. And then he'll show up and he'll say, Hey, let's go do this thing. You want to go golfing? You want to go see this movie? translates to mean, Hey, I'm not mad at you anymore. I worked it out. I'm cool. I forgave you. So when the guy says, yeah, let's go do golf. He's like, Oh, I'm so glad you forgave me. And it's over with, but for a woman, if the guy goes away, you know, she gets mad. She retreats, which is come and get in my Talk business. If you love me. Right. And if from his man's laws, I'm going to love you and respect you. I'm going to give you your, your space. space. And so then he waits it out, but he doesn't, can't wait that long. So finally he'll come in and say, Hey, you want to go see a movie? And that's his peace pipe, right? He's passing on. And she's like, what, how can you just expect me to go see a movie and that kind of thing? Right. And then he goes, I can't understand women. And you get all that frustrations. Does this resonate with you? I mean, how do you, do you see that to be true? I love the metaphor and I find that so funny. You know, you talked about men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I have read that book a couple, a couple of times. I'm not here to bash Dr. Gray, but I do believe that one of the things that are actually true for the genders is that rule. Is that what he discussed? I think the idea of, of the roles, I think is changing. It depends on each person. We can't make blanket roles and rules, mm -hmm. but I think that the isolation piece or the man cave that he calls or women being more out there and talking 
is something that is very true. And of course, not every woman's like that. Not every man's like that. But Mm -hmm. it is very funny that you said that guys don't talk about their feelings. So if they need to talk about their feelings, they wait and they go, oh, yeah. And they go, yeah, sure. Let's do this. And then, oh, okay, we're good. But sometimes some men need to talk. Mm -hmm. And that's really important as well. I was just laughing because it's just so funny how you literally just painted the picture of probably majority of marriages and relationships of like the woman sitting in the room waiting for the husband or or the partner to come in and talk. But he's (laughs) giving her space because that's what he would do to his bro and not to yeah. his wife or spouse or yeah. partner. So it's just very funny. It just, it made me crack up because it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very true thing. But I think the biggest way to handle that is to communicate when you get into an argument or you have a struggle in your relationship mm-hmm. to communicate what you need. Sometimes my wife likes to be like me to be in her business. Sometimes she needs the space. Sometimes I recover faster from an argument than she does. And sometimes she recovers faster than I do. We process things differently because we're different human beings. Mm-hmm. So to have that conversation, instead of expecting someone to read your mind, know what you're dealing with, or know or think you know what the other person's needs are, talk it out. So after an argument, when things don't go the way as you expected, say, hey, here's how I, what I needed X, Y, and Z from you next time to make this work. And what do you need from me? Because then it won't happen again, or it, won't, yeah. it might happen again because we make mistakes, but at least we know so that we don't have to read each other's minds. Um, one of the biggest things I told my wife when we were dating, one of the things I love about her is that she's very upfront. She tells me how it is. She tells me what she needs. And there's no guessing games because that just causes arguments. I didn't know you wanted this. You, I thought you were going to do this. Why didn't you do that? But when we communicate, because we are different beings, when we communicate to each other to let each other know what we need, a lot of the problems will go away because I know what you need and you know what I need and we'll make it work. And I find so often people make the mistake in, assuming that what it means to them is the same as it means to you. So I call that personal culture, that if my personal culture is, if I go retreat and you don't come, if I don't come, that means I don't care about how you feel. So clearly that's how you are are feeling. And one of the things that people get so mad about is when they feel they're being accused of having an intention or thought or an act that they are not guilty of. They're not even aware. (laughs) <laughs> they don't the, even know they don't even know and the person goes yes you are yes you do this thing and they, <laughs> and they get so mad like no but we convince ourselves because that's our truth and so we can't even imagine that it wouldn't be that true for you i'll tell you one thing i've noticed that people cannot even imagine and you have to tell me if you see this to be true or not but i learned in japan they have a saying called mushing and mushing is to be able to be with no thought to just sit and think of nothing. A woman's mind typically is constantly dialoguing, constantly, and they don't mush, but men can mush. And so you see it, this happen in a car, they're driving, guys driving, and he's mushing. He's literally thinking of nothing. Her mind is playing out every conversation they need to have on this trip, everything that they're thinking, right? So she turns around and goes, so what are you thinking? Because he's quiet. And if she was quiet, that means she doesn't want to say something to him or she's thinking about something, right? So he turns around and goes, nothing. And then she gets mad because then she thinks, you're not telling me the truth. You're not telling me what you're thinking because I know you're thinking, I'm not thinking. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. And then they start arguing because she cannot imagine for one second that you are actually having no thought. (laughs) I I would say that I think in my marriage, the roles reversed. I have, I've been asked, I have ADHD. So my brain is just active all the time. So I'll be sitting in the car thinking about a billion things. My wife will be spacing out, you know, whatever, playing on her phone or quiet or listening to music. And I go, so what's in your mind? She goes, nothing. I go, really? (laughs) I go, here's what I'm thinking about. And I tell her, I don't get angry at her by not, you know, by not thinking she does. She works very hard. So, yeah. but sometimes it's the opposite, but I would say usually I take that role, which is what I talked about in the beginning is that sometimes I take that classic woman feminine role in mm-hmm. our marriage and mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny that you brought that up because I'm sitting there and my wife does some, sometimes do that. I think when certain things are on TV or certain things are going on in life, blank stare, no thoughts, nothing. I think in general, you're right. That mushing, I love that term, yeah, um, is very true for a lot yeah. of men and uh, and not for a lot of women. 
Yeah. What we're pointing out here is that when these things we're talking about, there's going to be a large groups of people that are going to say, that's me, that's us, that's our marriage. But we often find in our clinical work that people say, well, actually it's him, it's her, right? He's the one that can't not resolve something and wants to talk about everything. And the woman saying, I just want space. And Mm -hmm. so we do see this not being gender specific, but really person specific. Yes. And this is what we're trying to expand people's awareness of is that we don't want them to generalize groups, stigmatize groups, stigmatize feminine energy, masculine energy, but to really let there be open discussion about how that shows up for people and to allow them to have the human experience and not shame and blame them for what they feel, what they like, what they want, but to have those open conversations so that the couple, whoever they are, can have a greater understanding of how to interact with one another. I love that you put it human interaction, human conversations, because in the end, that's all we are. Mm-hmm. That's all we are. It doesn't matter gender, race. It doesn't matter where you come from. You are a human. Mm-hmm. So to make space for the human, to make space for that person should be devoid of all those things. Um, yes, the person and where they and where they're at, you know, it's a very therapy term. Meeting a client where they're at is very important. Whether their race, ethnicity, culture, religion, gender plays a role in the issues they're dealing with, great. As a therapist, we need to be there with them for that issue. And that's truly important. When it comes to relationships and stuff like that, be there as a human and don't put people together because they're men, women, black, white. They voted for this person or that person. I know it's hot topics. I know it's really, really raw and very hard to handle that not everyone who voted for X person is bad or good. And that person ever voted for this person is good or bad. They're human. They have their opinions. They have their reasons. And if we just made more space for human, for the human, I think we would be less, a lot of less hatred mm-hmm. and more understanding that we're pretty, we're pretty similar in a lot of ways and different in some ways, which makes us individuals. Mm-hmm. But if we kind of connect on that deep yeah. connection of being human beings, struggling with similar things, I think can make a better world that we're in. I think when that comes down to, I'll bring it a little deeper as a male, seeing the difference in men coming to therapy or seeking mental health. If they didn't look at it as weakness, if they're not, if they weren't conditioned to not think of it as a human, helping humans go through their struggles. No, that's a woman thing. I don't talk. No, 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 no. I don't do that. I I can't open up. I can't be vulnerable. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to cry or have emotions. It's not about that. It's about having an objective conversation and love and care from a human to a human helping you with whatever struggle that brings you to that room that day. If men looked at it more that way, there'd be a lot more men in therapy. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I have a lot. I'm very effective with men and working with them. And part of that has been that I'm married to a caveman. <laughs> I'm married to a poet warrior in that he uh, he's a, a natural warrior. He was in special forces and did all that kind of stuff. So, and when you see him, he's very intimidating. He's got a very powerful presence. If he was walking down the street, people look through their blinds, you know, it's like, it's kind of scary, right? But he doesn't like football. He doesn't drink. He loves to have really deep conversations. He doesn't like superficial conversations conversations and he's a poet and he's an artist. So it's very, mm. it's very different than anything. I love that. Expect. It throws you off. Both things throw you off, right? Yeah. You see this guy in special forces, but he likes to draw and be a poet. Yeah. That's beautiful. That and makes him football. a whole person. Yeah, right. And he's, you know what? He's probably more of a man than I am for being in special forces, whatever that <laughs> means, but that doesn't take away from his manlyhood or no. being a father or a husband just because mm-hmm. he likes to do poetry. Yeah. He's taught me so much about men. And this is where I think if we have that, that position of our mind, teach me, teach me about you. I need to understand. I'm not going to presume to know what you're thinking, feeling, why you're doing what you're doing. Help me understand you, your story, your experience. And if we did that with every hot topic right now, that's out there, right? All the diversity Uh, issues and everything saying, teach me, just put your thoughts aside for a second and just be open and curious to that person's narrative. And so my husband's been teaching me about men for years. And I've learned that a lot of men don't want 
you to have that really compassionate face, that empathy, you know, it feels patronizing. It feels pity, condescending. They want it straight up. Just be a straight shooter. Tell them what's up. Tell them I'm raw and let them be raw. Let them talk the way they talk and mm-hmm. not get touchy feely and jumpy around it kind of thing. Yeah. And there's been times where my husband, both of us have always been proactive with any sort of personal growth. That was, it was actually in our vows. We said, if there's ever a problem, we will seek help to help us. And so he's gone to therapy and whenever he's gone, he comes back and it was a total flop. And I'd say, how did it go? And either the therapist would talk about themselves to my husband for the whole hour, try and impress him with some like badass story that they had that they wanted him to know about, or they just missed the mark and they didn't know how to relate and connect. So when men come, I do let them be the gatekeeper. I follow their lead of what, what they want to talk about, what they want to bring here. I don't push my agenda on them. And if there's something they're uncomfortable talking about, I don't make them You know, I just pace myself with them and really show that I respect them, that I can handle it. We can talk straight. Then they open up and they tell me so much, but until we establish that rapport and that safety, they're not going to let me in. And they've already had a lot of times really negative experiences with these therapists that just didn't get it. Yeah, You have defined when I get asked, how do I help my man open up? That is the, you just defined it and explained it in a beautiful way. It is not about pushing agenda. It's not about judgment or looking at them and giving answers or fixing. It's about letting them dictate. Mm -hmm. And when they feel comfortable and when you have given them the space to open up little by little, whatever they feel is necessary, that is when they open up even more. Mm -hmm. And it's about creating that space as a therapist or anyone in a man's life. It is not about forcing or pushing the conversation, talk about it, talk about it. You're just going to shut them down. The walls Mm -hmm. will go up. You will not get past it. They need to be the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And I think that is more of a natural male thing than women. Women are more open to just talking, which is beautiful and great. It also shows the the greatness of you as a therapist to be able to, to put your agenda aside. I know as a therapist, sometimes we're like, oh no, we have to work on X, Y, and Z. Your diagnosis is this, and we have to help you then came for X, Y, and Z reason. Go into like what theories you know and all those kind of things and how to help. But sometimes it's really about sitting with them to let them dictate that journey. And when they are ready, you're ready. Mm-hmm. You're ready to help them. You're not lacking in that ability. You know, as a therapist, I think you made a great point. And as a human as general, I think you made a great point that- if we just were open to letting someone else teach us, I get asked, you're a white Jewish male. How do you work with X, Y, and Z person? Mm-hmm. How do you work with someone who has 15 kids and you only have one? It was, how do you work with a married person? You're not married yet. How do you work with a kid without a kid? You don't have a kid yet. All those questions that I get asked, the same answer I give all the time is, I am not here to be an expert in anyone. I can't know you. And even if you were a Jewish male, white Jewish male, I still wouldn't know you. You bring your own energy. Teach me about you. I'm here to help you. I need to learn about you. So educate me. Help me learn so that I can help you with what I know as a therapist. I don't know you yet, and hopefully I will, but I won't know you and won't be able to help you if you don't let me in. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very human thing that we need to do. You know, recently I've been really getting on this kick of learning more about racism and reading like White Fragility and all the big books that came out recently. And I love this guy, Emmanuel Acho who wrote the book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Because I think as a human, we need to educate ourselves on the other people that we don't know. I hate Mm -hmm. using that word, the other, that sounds bad. But someone who's not like us. Which is everyone. Which is everyone. (laughs) But I mean, specifically people that have different paths. Exactly. mm -hmm. And different backgrounds. I love learning about different religions and different cultures and different races. Because Mm -hmm. that makes me educated a little bit. So when someone comes into my office I don't know them fully, but I might understand just a little bit. And when they educate me even more, I have more backing behind me. I understand a little bit more. And we need to have that perspective. And that goes for our relationships. Mm -hmm. You can be married for, I don't know how many years, and someone can still educate you on what they need Mm -hmm. and how they need it. Don't assume. Learn, learn, learn worse as you're married longer, you start to believe your theories about the other person. A hundred percent. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you know, my wife and I are almost married six years. There are things that change. We have one kid now. If we have multiple kids in the future, which I hope, that's going to change the dynamics of what we need and how we need it. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not defined by the one small moment that is either a fault, a success, a pro, a con. It doesn't make 
the entirety and doesn't last with us for the entire marriage. It's not written in stone. So it's about being Mm -hmm. flexible to be open to learning and readjusting your thought process of the person across from you Mm -hmm. so that you have a healthier, long lasting relationship. Because if you're stuck as the person that you were when you were first married, 20, 30 years down the line, they're not going to be the same person, but Mm -hmm. you're looking at them as the same way. It's Mm -hmm. like parents who look at their kids when they're babies, but they're in their thirties. And so they're still treating them like they're in high school, you know, like that's stuck. That's a stuck mentality of looking at them in a, like a time capsule of a, of like a snapshot of where they are right now versus where Mm -hmm. they, where they were versus where they are now. My belief is in the first five years of the marriage, you're developing the attachment style. We know that, right? Are we going to have between partners, a secure attachment, you're forming your sense of safety in that relationship. First 10 years, you're forming the attachment. And then you're also creating beliefs about each other. You're developing beliefs. You're developing the seeds that you're going to plant in your heart about who that person is. Then between 10 and 20 years, they're now gathering their evidence that their beliefs (laughs) are true. And then Yeah. And then from 20 on, now I'm sentencing you. We're in court and I'm convicting you. And anytime someone says, that's not me. No, I know you. This is who you are, right? Doing this for 30 years. Yeah. And that's where we get in a crisis at that 20 year mark, 20 to 25, because the things that we've been building up really hit an all-time high and we Mm. start to make decisions of, is it worth it? Do I really want to still be married to this person? Why am I here? you know, all those kinds of things, which are really hard. You know, I was going to ask you, do you think that as an expert, do you feel you have a different perspective or ability to have this perspective when it comes to a relate your relationship and your parenting? Do you think that gives you like a different edge? I know we're talking therapist to therapist. Does Mm -hmm. that kind of give you a different maybe outlook than maybe the regular person. The strangest thing happened to me that in my work, I specialize in treating borderline personality disorder and doing DBT in my private practice. And with that comes a lot of relational conflict. And so I started to think, you know, I really do need to master this couple stuff. If I'm going to be helping them, making sure I'm doing evidence-based. And that's when I got into the Gottman training and I became a level three Gottman therapist. And then I did Sue Johnson and my marriage, my husband and I, we've been friends for 36 years. We've been married 26 years. And up to the point that I studied Gottman stuff before I did, we were very solid in our relationship. The second I got into specializing in couples work, we had the worst marriage ever. (laughs) It was like the worst thing I could have ever done is become a couple specialist Yeah, because now I was seeing everything through that lens. I was like, you're using the four horsemen. That was defensive. You're supposed to do this. Right. (laughs) And so I just started to get upset that it was not working the way it should, or he wasn't following the recipes or yeah. I understand that actually found it made it worse. It was like naiveness was bliss. I sometimes feel as a therapist when I get into an argument with my wife that I should know better because I do, I deal with couples. I'm like, come on, Ellie, you, you should have gotten this, you know, you should have seen that coming. But then it's also <laughs> reminding yourself that you're human, which was why I wanted to ask you, because I think it's such an interesting perspective that we have as therapists yeah. and as specialists to be able to have that perspective that we are human and that just because mm-hmm. we are in a marriage does not make us perfect in our marriage. Right. I have a saying that the closer I am, the less I know. So when it comes to my family and friends, I am not the specialist. And my husband knows that if he wants to get us in a fight quick, all he has to say is, well, you're the doctor. (laughs) Those are fighting words. Like Uh, the, the horses are off and running. I definitely give myself a free pass when it comes to family and friends. I'm just too much in the picture with them to see the picture. And that's just the way it is. I can have such a different perspective when I'm in a therapy room with people that I'm not living life with a day in, day out. So much easier. Yeah. So much easier to keep your cool and perspective and keep your emotions in check. When the the therapy's off and you take the hat off, it's like no holds bar, you know? Yeah. You're not sharing a story with them that has all these triggers and activators with it and things. I do want to touch on a point though, which has to do with respect. Because I find that this is another cultural difference. Often I find in working with men and women is that how women perceive respect and how men perceive respect has been very different. Men are very tuned in to tone of voice. And whether you gave them permission to get into their business or not versus women, they might show respect of how they will 
take care of their belongings or, you know, a man, it would be very disrespectful if you tell other people his private matters or embarrassing stories where a woman Mm -hmm. thinks it doesn't matter. Why are you upset about that? Right. I find in therapy that one way I show respect to male clients is to show confidence that they are fully capable of thinking for themselves. Yeah. You know, I talk about this a lot. One of the biggest things for me as a male in a relationship is respect to be looked at with respect, to be treated with respect, to be spoken to with respect, to be paid attention to, to with respect that I have your attention, that you're, when you were talking, you're, you're there, you're paying attention. You're not distracted. And I think for a lot of guys, respect is key. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like obnoxious, like I deserve respect. No, it's that they want to be noticed. They want to be a part mm-hmm. and be seen. The word is respect. The word is use respect, but it's not about that. But the operational definition is so different because yeah. when you say all those things, I can imagine that, okay, I'm with you. I'm listening because I'm on my phone, but I'm listening to you. So I may not know that respect is measured by my eye contact, by not having a distracted mind mm-hmm. while I'm listening. Exactly. See my body language. Exactly. And then if you have to repeat yourself, that gets very frustrating. And I think respect can be shown in different ways. Being paid attention to needs and wants and Mm -hmm. listening to, let's say, if your favorite food or something that is small detailed, noticing those things can really show a lot of respect, Mm -hmm. respecting space and time. A lot of women can say, I respect you and I'm mad. So I'm yelling at you right now, but I respect you. Yeah. Or a man, if you're yelling at me, you're not respecting me. Nope. Right? <laughs> Very true. But I also think that that goes the other way as well. As a man, if I'm yelling at a, my wife or I'm, I'm, I'm screaming, it could be that I don't respect her. Love her. That's the key. That's the key word for women, right? So with a man, oh, it's lo- yeah, sorry. From her perspective, it is, I don't love, you don't love me. From a yes. guy, it's, you don't respect me. Yes. Mm-hmm. 100%. And he's like, I love you, but I'm mad and I'm yelling. Yeah. She's like, well, if you love me, you wouldn't yell at me. And then if she does it, it goes, well, you don't respect me. It goes, but mm-hmm. I love you. It goes, but you don't mm-hmm. respect me. And it is this word that really is about being in the conversation, being there, um, being connected, being noticed, being seen. And that is something that comes in many shapes and sizes. And again, back to the conversation before, it has to be communicated. Some men need to be seen through their stomach. Some men need to be seen through sexuality. And to be noticed and the things that they like and and how they like it are done or they're being paid attention to. Some men, it's joining them for uh, something that they like to do, um, just like they would do for you. Some it's that eye contact during a conversation. It's all these different things, but you need to talk to your man. And men need to talk to their woman what they need as well. Those Mm -hmm. languages that we use and how we show that love or respect Mm -hmm. to our partner. The big takeaway from this is to encourage people to ask their partner, what does that mean to you? When you say respect, what does that mean? What does it look like? How would you Mm -hmm. see it? How would you experience it? How would you do it? There is differences in definition. And we just assume that we're using the same language. So clearly we know what that means, but really we don't. And I think that's what the five love languages offers that's so helpful about it is that understanding that how you experience love may be different than how I experience love. So how I'm going to give it is going to come from my love language, how you're going to give it's coming from yours. And it could be a different language. Yeah. And that is true for just about everything we just talked about. Also to add on to that of what we're talking about is that not to assume, you know, based on the gender, just because someone's a man or a woman identifies as a man or woman does not mean, you know, or can assume that that is for every single person like that. Mm-hmm. And that the more we generalize, the more in trouble we get, because mm-hmm. we need to individualize it more and talk to that person who is in front of you. Who Mm -hmm. is that person and treat them like a human, ask them questions, learn about them so that you can educate yourself and help and be and work together in a beautiful way. Yes. I really want to advocate that we're not shaming and stigmatizing our genders, our feminine energy, masculine energy, that if we are drawn to something, whether you want to stay at home, you want to work, you want to, whatever it is that you don't feel guilty that you're guilty by association, or that means something about you Yes, because you want to be home with the kids. Be you no matter what. Right. That's right. No matter what box other people think you're in, be yourself and embrace that. 
I remember when my kids were little, I was all about not doing the gender thing, like just yeah. letting them be them. And I thought I'm going to have neutral toys. My kids still gravitated towards the gender specific yep. toys. My son, who I didn't get him a gun. He was making guns out of branches. I don't even know where he learned about guns. School. Right. <laughs> camp. You can't sometimes get it out of them. I'm six one. A lot of people don't know that. So I've always been the girl who, when I'm out in the girl retreats, they go, oh, there's a spider. Go kill it, Sean. And I'm killing it or <laughs> picking up the big box and things. So a lot of times I feel that I have an expression of masculine energy just because I am the biggest girl out of the group that sometimes my female friends will treat me in that space. Sometimes it feels like. And so as I have been doing a lot of these videos and recordings and things, I was noticing how feminine my body language was when I wasn't particularly feeling really feminine. Like I was feeling expert. So maybe I felt like I was more in that masculine energy. And I told my husband, I said, I didn't realize how feminine I was. Like, I just, and he says, he's like, oh, hi, you do, you're so much, you know? And it's like, I just didn't even know that because I was noticing my hand movements. I was noticing just things I did. I didn't realize that I did that just made it clear that even when I was in my masculine energy, I was oozing femininity that I didn't realize. And, and they can it, both be there at the same time. They can. And I was in preparation for our podcast today. I listened to your podcast, Dude Therapy, and I was listening to the episode when your baby was born. And I laughed so hard when you were talking about being in the room and nobody told you when your baby had its first bowel movement, that black goo was going to come out of its butt. <laughs> that was the scariest moment of my life. I thought my dead baby was dying. <laughs> no said. one warned me. I didn't no even know what that was. I can't even pronounce the word of what it is. You know, and you said it was black goo. And, and just the way you said it was such a dude way, right? Like a woman wouldn't say black goo was coming out of her butt. You, know, <laughs> you were like, oh my gosh, black goo. And I just thought there it is. It's, it's these moments where that is such a dude way of explaining the baby's first bowel movement. Yep. And even how I text, my wife can mimic my texts. If, she, if I'm driving, she'll go like, hey, man, hey, dude, what's going on? Like, that's how I start my texts with my my friends. It's like, hey, man, hey, bro. Like, what's and I'm a pretty, you know, more on the feminine side of how I how I talk. I'm very emotionally in tune and all those things that are associated with the feminine mm -hmm. energy. But still, I have I can be a bro at the same time. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's the stigma is that if you're saying, hey, dude, people would think, oh, he's a dude kind of guy. That's, you know, they wouldn't assume that you had all that complexity to who you were as a person and all the diverse expressions of how you show up and interact with people. Yep. So we just need not to have that stigma. And at the same time, it's great to name a podcast. Let's say, for example, dude therapy, because people are going to know, like, I can relate to this person. He's saying, I'm a dude. dude. I'm a dude. dude. Yeah. He's a therapist. Yeah. He's going to get me. Let me check it out. And it doesn't mean it's not for women either. No, definitely. I enjoyed your episodes. I found so much value in them. And so I'm really excited for your podcast. How long Thank have you, you been doing your podcast? Uh, since about April. Wow. Yeah. Well done. We're on the second season right now. Good job. Good Thank job. you. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on today and having this conversation about men and what this means and how we could break the shame and stigma about being a man and what that means and how we could support one another as people and not have it be an either or, but an interdependent interaction where mm. we create safety for each other. We support one another's strengths and weaknesses and so forth, and just really start to have a conversation to bring that into relationship rather that. than on different sides of the fences. So I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a huge honor. Isn't Ellie the best? I absolutely love working with him. To learn more about his work, please go check him out on his social media handles at Elevation Therapist. He does a play on words, so it's spelled E-L-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-Therapist. You'll find him there on Instagram. You can also listen to his podcast, Dude Therapy, and you'll find his link to his podcast on his Instagram page. You can also go to his website at www.elevation.org. 
Again, that's billed E-L-I-V-A-T-I-O-N. And I will have that in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this discussion was inspiring and uplifting to your journey. Please remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to substitute a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Also, make sure you rate this show, share with those you know, and send us a shout out. Please message me with any topics you would like me to address or questions you have on social media at Dr. Sean Horn or on my website. Thank you again and may you find joy in the journey and be richly blessed.